0: Welcome back to the Building Peace Initiative. This is John Van Vlittle at youwantapieceomeonline.com. And today's podcast is going to go in a little bit of a different direction. It's titled The Summer of John and How the Flying Monkeys Disrupted It. So I'm going to be inviting the bell of mindfulness on occasion. And when I invite it, we'll breathe together in and out three times to slow us down a little bit and to let whatever has been said think in and allow you some time to process it. So let's try the bell. It was a little louder than I wanted it to be. I'll work on that. Uh, So my reference to flying monkeys is meant to represent anxiety. You never know when anxiety or an anxiety particular precipitating event will show up, hence the flying monkeys comparison. You know, but before I made the comparison, I started to think, well, flying monkeys, because there be anything racist about that? Well, I wanted to do a bit of research, uh, so here's what I found. Frank Baum, the author of The Wizard of Oz, did have racist attitudes, calling for the total annihilation of Native Americans, urging the government to wipe out these untamed and untamable creatures from the face of the earth. That is really pretty awful. Now, according to the site I was at, Museum of Modern Pasts, uh, the companions that that Dorothy met, the Tin Man, the Lion, the Scarecrow, um, are white European stereotypes that indigenous people are lacking emotions, cowardly, and idiotic. Um, Now, the winged monkeys, in the servitude of the Wicked Witch of the West are a representation of the indentured servitude and exploitation of native laborers. The Wizard of Oz himself, being a non-native person of power in Emerald City, is a comparison to the arrival of European settlers and their subjugation of native people. So, anyway, that's a little bit of background. But to me, the flying monkeys were always really sort of spooky. And I, like I say, I use it as an example of anxiety. So, that is quite the analysis. So, while this summer was supposed to be the Summer of John, I was all set up to get my act together, as I would put it. It turned out more like a Seinfeld episode. Uh, If you remember the Summer of George, for those of you who have followed Seinfeld, if not, take a look at it sometime. I was supposed to do a lot of bike riding, weight training, and reading, but COVID, tendinitis, and some other issues, relationships, uh, changed my plans a bit. Uh, There was a lot of turbulence to deal with. And, you know, relationships are really a lot harder than they have to be. Um, But I'll get into that in another podcast. Please tell me what you really want. Um, And hopefully I'll tell you what I really want. Remember um, Rosenberg, observations, feelings, needs, requests. Really not that hard, but it is. Uh, So the big news is I finally got COVID. The only thing I did differently was to reactivate my gym membership and start going back. So about a month into the gym, actually, probably more like a couple of months, I got COVID. So the gym is now out of the picture. I'll make do with my exercise bike and the weights I have in the apartment and a very small exercise room at the apartment complex that does have a couple of elliptical trainers. (sighs) Now, right off the bat, I ended up with tendinitis, patellar tendinitis, if you must know, and that really curtailed my bicycling, which, and cycling to me is a fantastic form of therapy. An hour or two with Dr. Schwinn, and I am much happier. The world slows down, and I get to take it in through my five senses. I really cycle mindfully, Um, and I'm either on bike paths or usually back roads, because um, I just don't like the drivers sometimes. Distracted driving is a huge issue. Now Planet Fitness, the gym that had always been a refuge for me, uh, provided me with some nice elliptical trainers. So 60 minutes on the elliptical trainer, Dr. Precor, they used to be, is great therapy and I have it all to myself. There's just me and the elliptical trainer. Now the culture of the weight room or training areas is a bit different. We have to share and my definition of sharing is You finish your set, you clean the equipment, and you leave it for the next person. Then you return for your next set. It's basic gym etiquette. Unfortunately, there are a number of people, quite a few, who think the equipment is lawn furniture. Now, it's especially pronounced in the mirrored exercise area. Story of narcissus, anyone? Um... Uh, See, I just labeled, which is not a good thing, uh, but it goes back to the issue of interdependence. Our actions affect each other, and we need to have some courtesy and to support each other in understanding that. Uh, The hard part in a setting like this is how to communicate effectively to someone that you'd like them to move so you can get your set in without just sort of standing over them and looking. (laughs) I haven't quite mastered that one yet, uh, but sometimes people do get the message. So despite all the bumps in the road this summer, I I maintained a positive attitude for the most part. And that's the story here. Self-care of the mind, body, and spirit. And I'm going to invite the bell a bit. Hey, that was better. Uh, But first, a bit about COVID. Now, it began innocuously enough with some sneezing for a day, then a sore throat overnight, and then came the fever, ah, nuts. It was about 101.8. I said, that's exactly what I said when the fever showed up. So once the fever started, I dutifully went and purchased a home test kit and it turned out positive. I was like, seriously? I got through this long, and now I have COVID. So despite taking a lot of precautions, including leaving all the windows open, wearing a mask, my roommate got it within a day. So this is just crazy contagious, this form. Now, I've had four vaccinations so far, the last about eight months ago. And the question came up to me is, what would have happened if I never got them? Well, we'll never know. As I weighed up the risk-reward scenario um, and the research done by professionals who have ethical canons to abide by, um, I decided, yeah, I am gonna go get the the vaccinations. And I have some risk factors that played into the decision age, uh, being overweight, though that part of the Summer of John, mindful consumption is working out as I'm a third of the way to my goal. In any case, given the information, I went with the vaccinations. Now, due to the aforementioned risk factors, Upon the positive test, I immediately contacted my healthcare provider and got a, prescri- a prescription for Pexlovid. What is that? It's an oral antiviral prescription medication used to treat mild to moderate COVID 19 in adults who are at high risk for progression to severe COVID 19, including hospitalization or death. By the way, that's verbatim from the Pexlovid website. Notice the marketing hospitalization or death. Um, In any case, you have to take it within five days of detecting symptoms, which I did. So the question is, did it work? I don't know, but I didn't end up in the hospital. Once again, given the research I've done, the vaccines, the Paxlovid, it really came down to applying those critical thinking skills and facing essentially a forced choice question. Do I want to risk getting really sick and ending up in a hospital or not? I know I would not do well being intubated, so I made the least noxious choice, and it seemed to work out. COVID was much like a cold lasting 7 to 10 days, but with some lingering fatigue, cough and congestion that continued for like three weeks. Um, I didn't have any Paxlovid rebound or any real lingering symptoms that I'm aware of. Now, here's a really cool part. An interesting thing about Paxlovid is one of the side effects of something called Paxlovid mouth. <laughs> Great name. <laughs> or dysgeusia. I think that's how you pronounce it. It's basically a bad or altered sense of taste. It starts about a day after taking the medication and lasts a day or so after taking the last dose. It's pretty intense. It's kind of like a sour, bitter, metallic taste like having pocket change in your mouth. <laughs> that doesn't sound very appealing. Now, gee, why is John telling us all this? Well, here's the point. As I was experiencing this terrible taste, which was 24-7, I wondered how many people stopped taking the medication due to the taste. Now, this is where mindfulness comes in. I knew that the discomfort would pass. I also did all the reading and looked it up, so I had the knowledge. But for the time being, I was going to have to accept that. Um, this is crucial to understand. So often we get caught in emotional and physical states that feel like they will never end. And we suffer more than we need to, and it leads us to make poor choices sometimes. But most things pass. And having that awareness uh, really helped me get through um, yeah, about six days of, a, of change in my mouth. Now, I know a lot of people who, when they get a cold or an illness, they are absolutely miserable, and what adds to their misery is the perception of the illness. They're upset that they caught the cold, which, by the way, is just a regular part of life for us, and they make themselves and the people around them very unhappy. Some are even angry at themselves for getting sick. Now, self-compassion would be a much better option, but as you've, as we've explored in earlier podcasts, it's not as simple as you think sometimes. Uh, And I have a story about this one. A friend of mine, as a child, when she got sick, was lectured by her parents about how she was cheating her parents out of their tax dollars as they were paying her to go to school. Now, she ended up feeling guilty and hiding any illness or injury she had for fear of the wrath of her parents. She still carries this with her as an adult and demeans herself for being weak and has a good deal of self-disdain. And self-recrimination when ill and is reluctant to ask for care or support and so much for being able to identify validate and express your needs in a way that gets them met this really causes a barrier to living a happier more fulfilling life now just thinking about this situation fills me with sadness Uh, how many of us received the message that our needs were not valid and that we were a burden to those around us how many of us suffer alone And needlessly. Uh, This is why I am committed to listening with the express intent of understanding what a person is experiencing. Just by that act of listening, non-judgmentally, with empathy, we relieve a lot of suffering. So another issue that my COVID experience reactivated in me is a sense of unpredictability, hence the flying monkey effect. Um, I was beginning to feel relatively safe, and this is not an easy achievement for me, as I still carry the sense of walking on eggshells that I developed early in life. Hypervigilance, like most adaptations, has some pros and cons to it. But it can be hard for me to settle down at times. And the COVID adventure reactivated that. Uh, This undetectable pathogen is still floating around out there. I don't know when I will encounter it again. And I know there are plenty of people who don't take this as seriously as I do. I did isolate for five days. I wore my mask for ten. Empathy required that I do so. We have to understand that our actions affect each other, and we do have some responsibility to keep each other safe. It's why we don't speed through school zones or drive while under the influence. Now, adding to this, and this is where knowledge can be a little bit of a problem sometimes, is I know a bit about microbiology in the 1918 pandemic. It's pretty scary uh, when you think what could happen. And there's the flying monkey. Um, monkeys. Uh, one mutation and things could get worse in a hurry. And that's where breathing and the mantra, the past is gone, the future has not yet arrived. The best thing I can do is take care of the present moment comes in handy. It really helps us to calm our minds uh, and bodies. Still, there's a sizable mosquito humming around in the background uh, for many of us. Just that sort of free-floating anxiety that's out there. Take a few breaths with you. know if I ever mentioned uh, what I call the Purell cruise that I went on. Uh, I agreed to go on a cruise that ended up making the headlines due to a norovirus outbreak. Um, I didn't get it, but a whole lot of people, including my cabin mate, did. I think this was in like 2017. Um, The ship ended up turning around and returning to port two to three days into a seven-day cruise. Now, it was a very interesting experience. Uh, Sort of like being trapped on a seagoing petri dish. Uh, From the moment I heard about the first symptoms, I consumed only products that had been bottled, canned, or packaged before the trip began. Yay, hypervigilance. Um, I told you there was an upside to it. All the sanitizing done by the crew, and it was constant, 24-7, and precautions could not stop the progression of the illness. Uh, it was a precursor to the experience with the COVID-19 pandemic. Now, the cruise ship actually made global news. Here is the report. The Royal Caribbean o- Oasis of the Seas cruise ship is cutting its journey short after 475 passengers and crew members have been infected with a norovirus. They began getting sick when the ship port uh, left Port Canaveral in Florida on January 6th. The next day, the ship arrived in Jamaica. And nobody was allowed to leave the vessel. You have to report these things to, uh, I believe, the CDC. Uh, so they said, you can't go. They were on their way to Mexico on Thursday. But people continued to get sick, so they canceled the trip and returned back to Florida. The good news is uh, I got a full refund. And also, I have, now I have a reason to tell people I'll never go on a cruise again. I'm not a fan of cruises. Uh, to each their own. By the way, uh, nausea, vomiting, and diarrhea. They sound like a commercial are common symptoms, and they are intense. Throw in some seasickness, which fortunately I don't get. And that adds to the experience. Then there's the very small cabin bathrooms where nothing is secret. The walls are very thin. I was really glad I didn't get it, especially having to deal with airline travel. I really didn't want to be sitting in an airport with norovirus, worrying about getting on a plane. Uh, But all things pass, and the upside of an illness is it helps you to appreciate when you are feeling normal. That How's that for cognitive restructuring? Which is much easier to do when I'm sitting here in a comfortable apartment, sipping a cup of tea, rather than stuck on a cruise ship uh, in the bathroom. This is why mindfulness has to be a practice because you can't suddenly, when you're under stress, go, ah, what did Van Platel say about mindfulness? I'm going to practice it now. No, you can't get up and run a 10 K just like that. You have to train for these types of things so that when the stress does come, you're available for it. And remember your environment, which is probably what helped create a whole lot of this stress is always there. And that is something that, um, We also have to take a look at changing, which I've done this summer. So collectively, given the three years of COVID and the disruption in our lives, uh, we're still really wound up. I call it post-COVID stress disorder. Um, High levels of stress continue, and a lot of us are in fight flight. I mean, you see it in the irritability in people. And it's really important to take the time to stop and reflect on this and find effective ways to address it. I can't wait till the new sociology and psychology textbooks come out, uh, the updated versions, because um, what they have to say about COVID is going to be really interesting. So, awareness of all of this is why I developed my Summer of John plan. Two of the things I did accomplish were, number one, as I noted earlier, were mindful consumption and reading. I took care to watch what I consumed not only food, but media and conversations, uh, which Did not enrich my life let's say the other is for the past several years especially during COVID, i felt i really do feel like i was never in the moment i was always thinking about what i had to do next there always seemed to be some type of pressure in reality i am overworked and that started with all the adjustments that we had to make to change remote learning Uh, we have a different um, delivery system uh, at the school Uh, we changed from blackboard to brightspace which was pretty stressful for a year Uh, students are having trouble adjusting employees are having trouble adjusting it just and you know enrollment's down so we always seem to be running to the next task there's not a lot of consistency or security in our lives i myself was doing a lot of multitasking and i did not feel like i was given some tasks my full attention i don't like being half-assed about whatever i'm doing it really begins to get exhausting and I get irritated about it. I also noticed I was scanning what I was reading rather than feeling each word, letting it sink in. So I changed my focus. I slowed down I committed myself to having the full experience of the content that I'm reading, to be fully present with the material. It's working. It's reduced my t- tension level, reduced my irritation level. I'm not stuck in the moment. I'm attending to it. There's a difference. I'm also meditating regularly, uh, which I had done, but I really consistently am doing it, uh, and that includes walking meditation, ecotherapy. Uh, mindfulness has been a focus this summer, and I, attend to fo- I intend to focus even more on helping students be fully present and having an intention for each class when the fall semester begins. So... It's possible to maintain a life-affirming attitude even when we encounter difficulty. We can be mindful and compassionate towards ourselves and others if we choose to change our perspectives and do some self-care, but first we have to be aware of these perspectives. If we do this mindfully, we can take care of ourselves, and by doing so, we are also taking care of each other's. Now, I'm going to end today's podcast with a quote by Thich Nhat Ha for you to consider. In our life as a wave, we struggle and we have fear because we have to go up and down to be born and die, to exist and not to exist. We can see clearly that to live the life of the wave is very difficult. But when the wave discovers it is water, then it begins to practice living as water. A wave is... And is not, is up and down, is high and low. But water is utterly free. The question is does a wave have the ability to live its true nature as water, or must it just live as a wave? A wave can practice living its life as water. So consider that for a bit and see if you can incorporate it into your life. And till next time. Let's continue to work towards building a more just and peaceful world, beginning with ourselves.